Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Joe Valley. He is Director of Brokerage Services at Quiet Light Brokerage. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks, Jordan. Good to be here. So let's start with your background. You've been in the business world for a long time. Just kind of give us a brief background of how you got to where you are now. Sure. I, uh, I'm a bit of an old guy. I'm 51 years old. I started out in the direct response industry and uh, did a couple of radio infomercials, a couple of TV infomercials, got tired of uh, the overhead, the staff and whatnot. And I took my last product, which was a digestive health product, uh, 100% online in 2005. And then I ran it from 2005 to 2010 with um, just an outsourced staff, one employee, and sold it in 2010. I I took it through the best of and the worst of the economy, came out the other side, honestly tired and emotionally a little bored as an entrepreneur. You only do things for so long before you get bored. And I sold it in 2010 through a company called Quiet Light Brokerage, joined the company about uh, 15 months later, and now I'm a partner with the firm as well. So they helped you actually sell your, your business is what you're saying. That's right. Uh, when I became tired of the business, uh, I, I hunted around. I looked online for an online business broker company. It actually never occurred to me, Jordan, that I could sell my business because it was virtual. I was working remotely from anywhere in the world that I felt like living at the time and um, never thought I had a saleable asset when in fact I did. So I reached out to a number of business brokerage firms that specialized in online businesses. And uh, honestly, it was it was a tough go, a tough, tough time. There weren't a lot of great companies out there at the time. Uh, the ones that I did speak to felt like they were just trying to reach their hooks through me, uh, through the phone to get a commission out of me. And then I met Mark Doust, who's the founder of Quiet Light. And he gave me some advice that was in my best interest. He looked at my financials and said, Joe, I, I think if you wait another six months, you're probably going to make another seventy-five to $100,000. Remember, this was the economy was just getting better. It was November of 2010. We'd gone through the worst of it, and things were just improving. So the value of these businesses are, are based mostly off the trailing 12 months. And my latter months, you know, 10, 11, and 12 were still weak. So Mark's advice was basically, go away and come back and you'll make more money. And uh, he had me. He had me right then and there. So I did just that. I learned a lot. I did some planning. And I came back six months later and sold my business in 2010, November of 2010. So kind of give us the broad view of the online business world. How many people are involved? What kind of sales are involved? What kind of the valuation of these companies? Just kind of give us a, a sense of the, the world of online business, which a lot of people may not be familiar with. Well, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's the space I'm in now. It's all I know. And, and I know you're fairly familiar with it as well. The, the, the online world is changing every single day. Uh, people start off writing a blog about something that they love, like uh, coupon clipping. And I've sold businesses like this, and I've had this these types of combina- conversations where it's a mom that's 29 years old, and she has four children, and she started a blog about clipping coupons because they needed to as a family. And you know what? She was working 20 hours a week, and it was just more than she wanted to do. Her intention was never to grow a business and be making $100,000 a year part-time and just had to get rid of it. 
that happens. Uh, so it, it could be anyone. It could be a blog. It could be an e-commerce business selling on their own URL through Facebook ads, through Amazon, uh, content sites, software as a service sites, you name it. And it's mostly online. You can't find many things that are not online as well as off today. And who are the buyers of these businesses? As you say, it might be a mom and pop uh, starting out. Who are the buyers of these businesses today? Great question. That's something that every client I have asks me in the early uh, parts of the conversations we have. And they're really everyone. Um, I've sold to uh, corporate executives that want to leave the, the, the rat race, leave the corporate world where they're working 60 hours a week and see their family more, see their kids more, drive their, their kids to school. And so they, they save up and cash in or save up and get a loan through a SBA loan or roll over their 401k or something like that. So we've got corporate guys. We've got people that have sold their businesses and are buying another one instead of taking the risk of uh, starting up another one. Um, I've had parents buy their children businesses. We've had venture cap companies buy from us. We've had publicly traded companies buy from us. Uh, you name it. Every single possible type of buyer is, is really where we are and who we deal with. And how do you get the word out uh, that a particular business is for sale and get it to the people who would be the right buyers for that specific business? Well, we've been at this for a while. We've been at it since 2010. So over that time, we built up a pretty significant database and a reputation of, of doing it right. We, we have to take care of the buyer. Uh, we do a very thorough job in vetting uh, our, our clients, making sure that the businesses are exactly what they say they are. We put them through the ringer. It's a lot of work to get your business sold through Quiet Light Brokerage. Uh, but we, we do it well. We do it right. And um, our buyers appreciate it. 70% of our transactions uh, close right directly to our database. The balance come from online listings, uh, kind of like uh, MLS services for, for real estate. They have that for businesses as well, and then a variety of different sources. So are you competing with traditional business brokers or are business brokers getting online and competing with you? Not really. Uh, we really shouldn't be. If you know, as an owner of an online business, you really should work with a specialist. Generally, when I see a brick and border, uh, brick and mortar business broker have an online business for sale, uh, they get the valuation all wrong. It's generally not uh, nearly worth. They don't list it for what uh, what it's what it's actually worth. So no, we're not competing with business brokers that are in the brick and mortar world uh, in in any way. Really, it's. Occasionally, when I see a, a listing like that, um, it, it just generally doesn't sell, or that, that seller eventually comes to Quiet Light or someone else like us. How are valuations different from selling a similar business online, an online business, versus a similar business uh, in a brick and mortar retail situation? It's a good question. I've never been a brick and mortar business broker, so I can't really speak to that side. What I can tell you is that the online businesses are valued by a variety of factors, but the key factor and most important one as a starting point is uh, to determine what the trailing 12 months seller's discretionary earnings is, and then it's a multiple of that. So if you run a profit and loss statement in QuickBooks and you get net income at the bottom, uh, then we need to create an addback schedule. An addback schedule would be those personal items that are run through the business, personal benefits, like you, your payroll. As an owner of business, you take a payroll, or you run a car through the business, or meals and entertainment, or your mobile phone. Those are called owner benefits. 
So we create an ad back schedule, get a total ad backs, and sometimes one-time expenses. Expenses. The combination of the two, the net income and the ad backs, equals the total seller's discretionary earnings. So that's the most important number to get to. You got to get that right because if you're wrong, you're either undervaluing the business or overvaluing it by sometimes a significant number. So it's a multiple of that number and where that falls depends upon first the niche that it's in, whether it's a content site, uh, software as a service site, e-commerce, 100% Amazon business and the like. And then it, it where in it would fall in that particular niche's value range depends on how old the business is, the growth trends, the workload, the growth opportunities, the risks and all of those different factors. Each one is individual and each one is, is quite different. So are each of the expenses in that SDE, are they going to continue when this business is sold? I mean, say somebody gets out of it completely, they're not going to get salary anymore. They're not going to get their expenses they're putting through there. Why, why is that the key metric when a lot of those expenses may disappear once the buyer takes over? Well, we add those expenses back. You're absolutely right. It's when you calculate the seller's discretionary earnings, it's taking into account, it's whatever's left over after all core business expenses are paid and all expenses that are carrying forward to a new owner. It's not any any expenses that carry forward would be those that are operating the business. Your payroll, you would take your own payroll when you own the business and it's an owner's benefit. And do you typically sell businesses for all cash, or is it a pad over time? What is the typical way it's done with an online business? It really depends upon the size of the business and, and ultimately who the buyer is. Um, anything north of a million, you know, if it's not an SBA loan, generally there's some seller financing in there. Um, I think I did a presentation at the Rhodium Weekend Show last October where uh, the number was about 20%. So north of a million, there was generally about 20%. Um, seller financing, that's generally only 24 to 36 months. It's kept relatively short. If the business has three years worth of tax returns, it can qualify for an SBA loan. Uh, and in that case, you're getting uh, 90 to 100% cash at closing, depending upon the buyer again and what they're able to bring to the table. Um, anything south of a million, for the most part, it's uh, mostly or all cash. Uh, again, every transaction is different, but there are a lot of cash buyers out there for these businesses, and, and, and there's an awful lot of money, Jordan. So what is the role of an SBA loan in a closing like that? It helps the uh, buyer fund the transaction? Is that what it's used for? Yeah, actually, it's it's a great way to go if you've got a business that's been around long enough, uh, because it for the from the buyer's perspective, um, the SBA finance is 75% of the purchase, and you bring either 15 or uh, 25%. Well, let's say there's an equity infusion up to 25% from the buyer and sometimes the seller. So on that 75% of the loan, you've got a 10-year repayment period, which is, which is fantastic. And the SBA does everything they can to make sure that you've got plenty of cash flow uh, to live off the business, pay back the debt, and reinvest capital as well. So it's a great option for buyers that are not flush with you know a million dollars in cash, which most people are not. Uh, so you can look at buying a business for a million dollars, for instance, with just 10% down or a half a million with 10% down as well. It all depends upon um, the situation. Um, and the, 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 you can get an SBA loan for, I think, cap 
that uh, I work with, which is the Bank of California, is up to about $5 million on an SBA loan. And do you help them go through that process of applying for that SBA loan? We make introductions. Um, we don't help them go through the process, but the process is pretty simple. Um, you would have a conversation with the SBA lender. They do an assessment of your net worth and your ability to secure uh, the loan against your own personal assets and give you a, a decision fairly quickly on what you're capable of buying um, and what your, what your purchase limits are, which is really a very important starting point. You need to know going what you're the, cap- capable of buying. Before going you. into the process in the first place, you know how much you could qualify for is what you're saying. Yeah, a critical, critical step. Get qualified first so you know what you can buy, and then you, you don't waste your time or the broker's time as well. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Joe Valley. He's director of brokerage services at Quiet Light Brokerage, uh, which brokers online uh, businesses. Uh, their website is quietlightbrokerage.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Joe Valley. He's Director of Brokerage Services at Quiet Light Brokerage, which helps business online businesses uh, sell their business to buyers. Uh, welcome back to the show, Joe. Good to be here, Jordan. Thanks. So tell us a bit uh, what you charge at Quiet Light Brokerage. You get a percentage of the sale price, or how, how does it work where you're actually working with your brokerage firm? Yep. We're actually success-based brokers, which means we don't get paid anything unless the business changes hands and, and money transfers from the buyer to the seller. And it's the standard fee. It's 10% of the total asset value of the sale um, or 15000 whichever is greater. But our transactions are generally north of 150000 So it's generally 10%. 
Uh, and, you know, because of that, we're fairly picky about what we take on. We are very, very protective about our buyer database. We want to make sure they're buying good, solid businesses. So we're relatively picky. Our success rate is is well over 97% of the things that we list end up going co- under contract and do get sold. So how many deals have you done since you started in 2010? Great question. Uh, I don't know how many deals I've done, how many transactions. Um, I actually started in 2012. I sold in late 2010. But since I joined in early 2012, I've closed about $35 million in transactions with more than half of that coming in the last 24 months. Oh, so it's been picking up lately, you're saying? Well, you know, with age, as you know, you get better at what you do. And the larger listings that I take on, the larger listings that come across my desk. And this is all, uh, you know, a relationship building uh, business. We do, we don't simply talk to people and list their businesses for sale. Most of the valuations that we do are really valuations and exit planning calls. So we'll have conversations with uh, potential clients in 6, 12, 18 months in advance of them selling their business, advise them on what's going to bring them the, ma- the maximum value for their business so that they can you know, make it more of a lifetime event sale. And, and when you do that, and you do that well, and you build a pipeline and, and do it as long as I have, you build great relationships with people. And, and naturally, as the longer they run their businesses, the more they grow and our valuations generally get higher and higher. Do you get into bidding wars where there's several buyers wanting to buy the same business that you're competing against each other? Absolutely. And I don't love it, to be honest with you. I Ultimately, um, we always want the best buyer that is going to go from letter of intent through due diligence successfully and all the way to closing. It's not necessarily just about getting an extra buck. Um, but regardless of that, it happens. And I've had it happen two times this year already. Uh, and in one case, I listed a software as a service business, I think on a Wednesday. And by the following Monday, we had four offers and uh, it went for maybe 15 or 20% over asking price. So similar to what's happened in real estate these days. Yeah. It, it Again, though, it like in real estate, it just depends upon the property. Uh, you it's it's the right listing with the right parts and pieces to it in a niche that is attractive to a lot of buyers. And that's usually the case here. Now, in most cases, do the, do the sellers, the people who created the business in the first place, continue on uh, with when it's bought or do they typically drop out and just take their money and, and go elsewhere? No, uh, they don't just disappear. We kind of require them to stick around for training and training and transition period. In the asset purchase agreement, it actually says the starting point is up to 40 hours over the first 90 days. And it's the up to and over that's kind of critical. Um, I know that when I sold my business in 2010, um, uh, you know, I was required to give some training, but there was no sort of carrot or stick to make me stick around. Of course, I did. Uh, and I helped the the buyer of my business. But what I've sort of put in place is something called a hold back since then. So that, you know, let's say that you were to purchase a business uh, from me for a million dollars. You don't want to give someone a million dollars and hope they're going to show up for training and transition. So you want to hold back 10% of that. It's still going to be an escrow, but hold back 10% for that training and transition period. It keeps the seller honest and it keeps the buyer uh, more comfortable knowing that the, the seller is going to be there to train them afterwards. 
But once that training and transition is, uh, period is over, the monies are released, and the seller moves on to their next adventure. So say it's a personal kind of situation. You mentioned the, the mom with the coupon clipping. I mean, it, it, are these things transferable? It's not like so much of a personality. Or Say you said it's a content business. Yeah. Somebody has specific content. How can all that be passed on to a, a, a buyer if it's very personalized? Right. Well, if it, if it couldn't be passed on, I wouldn't take the listing on because there's no point in taking it on if it's not going to sell on behalf of uh, behalf of the seller. But if there's if there's an instance where uh, the seller's name and face is all over the website, first we have to make an assessment of whether or not removing that would would do any damage to the traffic and the conversion uh, on the website. And you know, mostly the seller is aware of that. Uh, you know, I'm stepping in as a neutral party, looking at it, helping and guiding. But ultimately, the expert on that business is the current owner of it. Um, so if if we feel as though there needs to be a transition period where the new owner would start to do more generic posting of articles, if it was a content site, then they'd do some split testing, or there would be a period during that training and transition period or beyond where the seller's name and face is still associated with the site. But there would be some rules and regulations involved so that content can't be of a certain nature that the seller would not be comfortable with. And that has to be pre-written up in the asset purchase agreement. But you're saying a lot of these things are not related to a specific person and can be passed on, and therefore that makes it more saleable. But if you have a, a site now where you're personally identified with it, it's going to be hard to sell that if it's not that way, is that correct? Yeah, well, first, 99 out of 100 are, are not uh, personal to someone's name and face. That, that, that 100th one, um, if you've got a, someone out there in the audience and everything they post has their picture on it and their name on it, they might want to start you know, using a generic name and a generic picture so that uh, if I were to buy their business, uh, you know, the people that are reading the posts are, are not going to be surprised when they see my face and my name or some new generic face and name. The transferability of the business is one of the key things to the values. It's, it's, it's documentation, uh, the growth opportunities, the history of the business, and the transferability of the business. If you can't transfer it, you have nothing to sell. So anyone that's running a business that's very, very specific to them, they need to start thinking about how to move away from being so central to it, stepping back so that when it's sold, someone else can step in and take over without hurting the uh, the revenues and the traffic of the business. When you form a business in the first place, an online business in the first place, what should you do to kind of think about how to get it ready to, for sale eventually. Well, first and foremost, just do your thing in terms of in terms of driving traffic and revenue to your business. But there are some very basic things that uh, most people don't do. One of the easiest, simplest ones is to form a corporation or LLC. You you can still sell a business where everything is commingled with another company and your personal stuff, but it gets much more difficult, and you're not going to get the same value because no matter what, the buyer's not going to be able to parse out all that different information in terms of the income and the expenses uh, if it if it was in a separate LLC or corporation. So that's that's one of the main things I would do is a separate LLC or corporation. I mentioned documentation earlier. That's part of it. Uh, way too many people, Jordan, you'd be amazed, uh, think that, and I've been guilty of this when I first launched a business as well, think that Excel is accounting software. 
Excel is not accounting software <laughs> for all of those out there doing it. It's okay. It's normal. It's, I've seen it before. But it's, it's time to, when you're thinking about selling your business, hire a good bookkeeper, get it all in a QuickBooks or Zero, something online that you can access from anywhere in the world. That will help you dramatically uh, get the value of your business. Again, one of the key things that I talked about earlier was getting to the correct seller's discretionary earnings because the business is going to be a multiple of that. If you get that wrong, then you're either going to be overvalued or undervalued, and it may fall apart in due diligence. So you really want to get that right, and the way to do that is good documentation with your financial information. Let me give you an example. We didn't talk about multiples and numbers, Jordan, mm-hmm. but um, let's say I've got a, an e-commerce site that is three years old, growing 25% year over year. That might be worth somewhere in the three to four time range. So if they're making uh, $500,000, it might be worth 1.5 to 2 million plus the cost of good saleable inventory on hand at time of closing. If they sold it for one under LOI at three and a half, but the SDE, the seller's discretionary earnings off by $10,000 because they had bad documentation, that's $35,000 that it's off. A buyer's going to figure that out in due diligence and either lose trust or renegotiate or walk away. And we don't want any of those things. So if you're just starting out in business or you're just thinking about possibly selling the business someday, you got to get that part of it right. Get those financials in good order. Have someone I'd have someone look at it. Have someone do a review. Have someone give you the advice. But that's one of the key things, I think, to getting it right so you get maximum value down the road. So do you find that in many cases when you have a business wanting to be sold, that their finances are not in good shape, that they've, they've not been keeping good records? Too many times, yes. I just did evaluation for a company that um, they're going to do, they're projected to do $20 million in 2017. The net income off, that's probably going to be $4 million. Uh, and I don't give these numbers to scare people away. I do listings that are are large like that, and and I, I have one under contract that's closing on Friday for two hundred seventy two thousand uh, dollars. We do all shapes and sizes, but that particular one can't log into QuickBooks and run a profit list loss statement for me. They've been growing so rapidly and focused on that so much that they haven't really done a great job with their financials. So, but at that level, they're hiring an expert to come in and fix it. And I've been in situations where I've sold a business uh, that was run part-time over 10 years with a bank account and a credit card. Uh, and you know, the gentleman that sold it was retiring at the age of 50 to join the ministry. He had a full-time job, and he ran this business on the side. It was worth $750,000, and he did not use QuickBooks. He had to build a P&L for three years going out of scratch from bank statements and credit card statements. We still got it sold. It was harder. And uh, eventually, he put all the data into QuickBooks after a couple of letters of intent fell through. Uh, and, and then when he finally had it put in QuickBooks, he got a higher value for the business. He paid a bookkeeper 1500 but he, he got, I think, about an extra $75,000 for the business because there were multiple buyers for it. And they, they believed in the, in the detail. They believed in the buyer and, uh, and, and the business more because it had good documentation. I can't, I can't, I can't emphasize how important that is. But he had to create it retroactively then because he wasn't he did. doing it at the time. He had to go yeah, he, back, put it together again. He did it all in Excel 
And then eventually, probably four or five months after it fell through a number of times, hired a bookkeeper and she put it all in QuickBooks and then ran a profit and loss statement and exported it to Excel for presentation to buyers. It's the same detail. It's all data entry, but it instilled confidence in the buyers that the details were right as if the business was being run more professionally. Just never know these kind of things. Okay, very good. We're <laughs> going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Joe Valley. He's director of brokerage services at Quiet Light Brokerage. Uh, they sell uh, online businesses, as you can hear. Uh, his website is quietlightbrokerage.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Joe Valley, is Director of Brokerage Services at Quiet Light Brokerage, their website, quietlightbrokerage.com. Welcome back to the show, Joe. Good to be back, Jordan. You've done uh, two books. One of them is called How to Get a Better Deal Through Kindness and Professionalism. What is the basic idea of that book? Well, most people think, based upon movies and the way other people act in life, that uh, you have to be tough to negotiate a good deal. In the online world, where you rarely get to meet the person you're buying a business from face-to-face before you make an offer, uh, you, you, you don't succeed that way. After $35 million in transactions, I've learned that people that treat other people with respect and with kindness and professionalism get a better deal. There's just no question about it. If I have someone that is selling a business that they've built up over the last three to five years and someone tears it apart on a phone call and then makes an offer versus someone that the next buyer that has that same uh, conversation uh, and is kind to them, a professional and says, what a great business you've done. Thanks. I appreciate you know all the details you have given. I appreciate the business and I look forward to working with you in the future. When each of those individual people make an offer, the second one, if the, if the offers are equal, the second one's going to get the transaction done. Most of these sellers, you know, they're selling something that they've emotionally built, and it is an emotional process for them, and it's not solely about the money. They want to sell a business to someone that they can work with during transition and training and be happy with the person that they bought it from or that they're selling it to. 
Is this different than in the online world? I mean, in the offline world, in the brick and mortar world. Um, I think it. I think it is simply because it's you don't before you make that offer, you don't get to see the whites of their eyes and shake their hand for the most part. Occasionally, if people happen to live in the same town or within an hour or so, they have a phone call and then they meet for lunch or coffee and then back through me, there's an offer made. But nine, nine out of 10 of these, it's, it's phone conversations and then an offer's made. So it's very, very different. You gotta, you've got to be kind. You've got to be professional. And it, I'm surprised often what sellers are willing to accept when, they're, when their buyer acts with professionalism and acts you know, with kindness. So do you do a training for the buyer before they make their bid, before you put them together about how to treat the seller? Uh, not an in-depth training. It's you know basic information. These are the things that you can ask. This is how you should treat this person. Uh, this is what they're looking for, and, and uh, you know that's that's about it. I don't want them to be anybody uh, except for who they are, because if they're if they're pretending to be somebody else on the initial phone call, it's eventually going to come out. Um, but there's certain guidelines that we give them. And you know, my job is to help them as much as possible. That that's my role. What do I do for a living? I help people, and it's not just the sellers. We have to help the buyers as much as the sellers, because without the buyers, we we wouldn't be able to do our job in getting the business sold. So, have you had cases where you thought it was going to go well and then it fell apart because of the behavior on either the buyer or the seller side? It's rare these days. Early on, Jordan, yes, but. It's rare. This is a relationship business, and and when uh, you build a relationship where you're, you know, with the seller or with the buyer that you're trusting, um, you know, you, you got to lead them down a certain path, you know, and, and through a certain process, and it it generally works out very very well. Occasionally, something might go sideways, but it's getting rarer and rarer. So you did another book called Ten Steps to Selling Your Amazon Business. Before we get into that detail, just kind of tell people what an Amazon business is like. What kind of things can you sell over Amazon, and what, why is that a good way to create an online business to do it through Amazon? Well, I think the statistic is fifty percent of all product searches start on Amazon now. People don't go to Google to search for a product they want to purchase as much as they do on Amazon. And you can set up an Amazon seller account fairly easily and start listing products fairly easily. But it's like anything else. The trick is to get traffic to that particular Amazon store and sell your product and make it a good product and get good reviews and take care of customers in, in a good way. Um, th- honestly, the book was going to start off as 10 steps to selling your business because I'm constantly answering the same questions over and over again. Uh, but we turned it into an Amazon business be- book because for the most part, um, that's one of the fastest growing segments of online businesses is folks that start an Amazon business. It takes off. They realize it's either more of a challenge or a beast that they wanted to run, or they want to cash in, set some money aside and do it over again in a non-competing category. Um, or they've reached their own limit of uh, expertise and capabilities, and it's time for more of a long-term manager to come in and take the business over. But you can you can set up an Amazon seller account and start selling on Amazon within 15 minutes if you've got products to sell. Um, most of the most successful people on Amazon are private labeling products, their own brand, building up brand recognition, running it for at least 18 to 24 months before selling it to a, to a, to a buyer. So you see a lot of people offering often through multi-level marketing, you know, get, become an Amazon seller. You don't have to have inventory. Everything's already provided for you. It's real easy. 
Uh, you're just connecting buyers and sellers. You make this huge amount of money very, very quickly. Is that true? I have no idea. I've never sold a business of that nature. <laughs> so, so my guess would probably be, no, it's not true. Nothing is easy. Um, I have a I have a listing now that, um, you know, the guy's made, I think the trailing discretionary earnings about a million dollars over the last 12 months. And uh, he makes it look easy, but he's in the 1% club, right? I think that there's, you know, I don't know what the exact percentage of Amazon businesses, total number of Amazon businesses that start every year. It's probably close to 100,000. Uh, and this particular gentleman, David, is he's in the 1%. 1% only get to a million dollars in revenue uh, and beyond. Hmm. Well, so let's go through the steps briefly you have in your book. Uh, and it's, it's called, The book is called 10 Steps to Selling Your Amazon Business. The first one is to have uh, clean financials. And we talked about that a little bit, but Specifically, what do you need to do with an Amazon business to get it ready for sale? Well, it's just like any business. You want to be able to uh, look at it from the buyer standpoint of view. These The buyers, whether it's a, a 50, 100, or a million dollar business, odds are they're putting their life savings on the line. And we want them to get it right. They may only have one chance to do this. And they don't want to get it wrong. So as a seller, you want to be successful with them. You want them to succeed as well. So think about it from their point of view. What do they need to see? They need to see bank statements, Amazon statements, vendor invoices, merchant statements, PayPal statements, so on and so forth. You, you want to prepare in advance for all of that documentation. And that goes all the way back to you know, setting up QuickBooks, setting up your own corporation, um, and not using Excel as accounting software because it's not. If you if you do all of the things properly early on, getting all of this information should be at your fingertips and can be accessed fairly quickly. First, in the valuation of the business. Second, in the planning of where to focus your growth or cut costs. And and third, in the transfer of the, the business to a, to a new owner. You say one of the big myths about selling an Amazon business is that your accounts will be unlinked uh, why is that a myth? Uh, that was the unlinking of accounts. Folks think that you can't have, uh, you have to have separate accounts, but they can, in fact, be, you can have more than one account with one EIN number, which is the employer identification number. A lot of folks, there's there's a number of myths around Amazon. One is that the accounts are not transferable, and two is that, you know, one EIN can only have one seller account. Both are, both are wrong. We've sold lots of Amazon businesses that have had um, lots of businesses that have had multiple uh, Amazon seller accounts tied to one EIN or uh, the, the fact that the Amazon seller account is transferable to a new owner. I've done it through Amazon Legal. We've done it through Amazon Seller Central uh, in a variety of different ways. It's definitely doable. So you're just transferring the, uh, it's, it's typically an LLC or subchapter S corporation that can be transferred in ownership from one person to another with the same EIN number is what you're saying. No, most of these are asset sales. What, what you're just describing is a stock purchase. That does happen occasionally, but we're not licensed stock brokers. Most of these are asset sales. And there's an advantage uh, from a liability purpose of doing an asset sale over a stock sale as well. Um, so when it's an asset sale, uh, if you were running a website today, Jordan, I could take control of your uh, your, uh, your 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 website, which is your business essentially, in, in the course of a couple of hours. If it was an Amazon Seller Central account, would log into Amazon Seller Central, change the banking information, change the EIN number, the username, password, uh, email address, and all of that. We'd do the same thing for your website, your hosting account, your domain account, 
Uh, I'd get vendor uh, information. I'd get control of the inventory. All of those things happen fairly quickly, and that's an asset sale versus a stock sale. I don't get any money that's in the bank account. I don't get the bank account. I don't get the corporation and the liabilities that come with it in an asset sale. If it was a stock sale, it's a simpler document, um, and I'd be taking over your corporation and the bank account and everything like that. So the tell me again the advantage of doing an asset sale versus a stock sale? The asset sale does not have any liabilities that carry forward. That's the biggest advantage of it. Uh, you you also don't have to take over someone else's company, bank account, and relationships. You start your own corporation that's clean, clean slate with clean documentation and a clean history, and you're simply taking over the assets of the business that drive the revenue. How about a credit record? Uh, if the existing business had a good Dun Bradstreet report or good Paydex score, uh, is that something that would transfer to the new uh, entity, which would have been a, a new entity that didn't have a, a credit record to some extent? No, not necessarily. Those those things would not transfer because the new the new business wouldn't have those. The key things yeah. that would transfer that convert to closed sales and transactions online would be the the website, the ratings and reviews of the website itself. And if it's an Amazon business specifically, you've got those customer ratings and reviews that are most critical to, trans, uh, to, to converting transactions as well. Those are the most important things to the value of the business because it drives revenue and drives sales. Most people don't look at an online business and uh, necessarily look at the credit rating of the company. They look at Gee, what are the people saying about the product or services that this company is is offering me? Am mm-hmm. I, and am I going to spend my money there? Kind of a reputation that you're buying to some extent. Exactly. So your your step number two in, in selling an Amazon business is to determine the value range. We talked about that a little bit. But what are there specific things related to an Amazon business as far as valuing it? The age of the business for an Amazon business is, is really one of the most important things. I think, you know, up until... Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, I think the youngest one that I closed or that we as a company at Quiet Light Brokerages closed was, was 20 months old, and it was mine. I listed it when it was 18 months old, and it closed, meaning transferred to someone a new owner uh, at 20 months. Darren uh, just listed one about a month ago that uh, sold, and it was 16 months old. Special situation. But the older the business is, if you think about it, if the older the business is, the more track record, the more history, the more stable it is, and therefore the less risky it is to a buyer. The less risk a buyer has, the more they're willing to pay in terms of that multiple. So that's one of the key things. If I had an Amazon business that was 18 months old, uh, doing the same amount of revenue and profit as a business and the same growth that that uh, business that was 36 months old, the value of that business that's 36 months old would be higher simply because it, there's less risk because it's it's got some history to it. That established track record makes all the difference in the valuation, right? Right. With an Amazon business, really, really important thing is that it's one platform, right? It's simply Amazon.com and there's risk associated with that. So if I had an Amazon business, and right now the valuations, if we looked at closed transactions of an Amazon business that is in the 24-month plus or, plus or minus range, doing discretionary earnings of, of less than a million, uh, you know, it's probably going to be in that um, 2.5 to 3 time range. So if it's doing $100,000 in profit, it's probably worth 
250 to 300,000 plus inventory that is on hand, good saleable inventory at closing. If that same business, let's just use 100,000 for a simple answer. If that same business was doing revenue on Amazon, on its own URL, doing daily deal site revenue, uh, coupon revenue, and maybe other third-party platforms like Walmart and Jet, doing some Facebook advertising. If if it had the same $100,000 in discretionary earnings, but from four or five different sources, that's diversity of revenue, less risk. I would list that business probably 15 to 20% higher than the 100% Amazon business. Which you're not as dependent on Amazon that way, yes. Right. Okay. We have to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour, Joe Valley, Director of Brokerage Services at Quiet Light Brokerage. They help people buy and sell their online businesses. A uh, website for them is quietlightbrokerage.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. <clears throat> My guest this hour is Joe Valley, Director of Brokerage Services at Quiet Light Brokerage, which helps people buy and sell online uh, businesses. Their website, quietlightbrokerage.com. Welcome back to the show, Joe. Hey, Jordan. So who has been your all-time favorite client and all the ones you've done so far? Oh, I love that question. Um, it, you know, it's an interesting business, right? Online businesses, and you'd think that the vast majority of of sellers are 20-something-year-olds. In some cases, they are, but my all-time favorite client was actually 72. And his name was John Moen, and he had a world mapping site. And the business was 17 years old. He built it himself, and he and his wife traveled the world taking pictures and doing advertising online. Made a very, very healthy living from it. And I sold his business in uh, 2013. And John taught me something. He taught me a number of things. Number one, I'm not always right. <laughs> and number two, that who uh, the person behind the business is makes a tremendous amount of difference. So in, in far of, as, as me not always being right, at the time, the valuations for online businesses had suffered you know, because of the economy and they'd come way down. And so the most I would list a business for was 
really actually 2.74, and it's because it would round out in 2.75. It's all psychological with the buyers. Anything higher, they just weren't touching. John had a special business. There was no question about it, but we had this, this, this ceiling that we kept bumping into. And John very professionally convinced me or, or told me that he thought the business was probably worth four and a half times. Instead of 2.75, he wanted to apply his discretionary earnings times 4.5. We talked it through, made sense, and I said, you know what? It's a good business. You're a great guy. You make sense. I trust you. There's something about him that I just liked. And we listed it, and John was right. I was wrong, and John was right. We listed it at four and a half. We went under contract. We had two offers for it at four and a quarter, and it went under contract and got it sold. So John taught me that I'm not always right, which is really, really critical because, you know, the buyers ultimately decide the value of these businesses, not necessarily me, not necessarily the seller, but the buyers do. And in this case, we pushed the, the envelope a little bit and, and, and John was right and the buyers were satisfied with it. So and what so it's was the difference between what you thought, the 2.7 and the four times? Why was it worth so much more than you thought it was? Well, a lot of it was the man behind the business. That's the other thing that he taught me, that buyers want to put their life savings down on a business. When they're going to put their life savings down on a business, they want to do it with someone that they trust. And John was a very trustworthy, honest, hardworking man who you know answered every question that I had. And I probably asked him a hundred questions in writing and, and shared that with the buyers. It was part of the client interview that I do. I grilled him. I grilled him and he did a fantastic job of instilling confidence in the buyers that the way that he built the business could be taken over by others, that he was irrelevant in it and that it had a lot of room for growth. And, and that's what he taught me. This, the part two of this was that the person behind the business makes an enormous difference in the value of the business. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be 72. I, I've, I've had businesses that you know are, are run by somebody in their 20s. I just sold one for about a million dollars in the spring. I'm sorry, in, in February. Um, and, and he was 29 years old, been running it for two years. And he did probably next to John, the best job in instilling confidence in the buyers. And the person that bought it from him came from a publicly traded company. Imagine this. We've got a 29-year-old, just a few years out of college. He went to grad school and just a few years out of college. He was working full-time at a well-known publicly traded company, started a business on the side. We'd talked for probably about a year before he listed the business for sale. He did such a good job that someone left the corporate world that worked for a publicly traded company, uh, buying and selling businesses for a, a publicly traded company, and he put a million dollars down on his own business. This gentleman was 53 years old and bought a business from somebody that was 29 with a million dollars of his own cash. So the way that you present yourself and the way that you present your financials and all of these details makes an enormous difference in the value of the business, either in terms of uh, what type of transaction you're going to get at closing, meaning the deal structure or the total value, like in John's case, where the multiple went uh, through that sort of glass ceiling. So you've got a particularly good uh, vantage point to look at kind of the future of retailing in this country. Uh, retail stores, brick and mortar stores are closing by the hundreds and laying off just tons of employees. A lot of businesses going online to Amazon and Jet and so on. Where is this all going? I mean, are we going to just have fewer and fewer stores in this country? What is your view, seeing it from the inside? 
Absolutely. I, I, th- I think that the, the retail marketplace is going to get smaller and uh, the online marketplace is going to get larger. I personally, Jordan, I can order a product at 10 o'clock in the morning and it can show up in the afternoon because we've got a, a fulfillment center, uh, Amazon fulfillment center fairly close to where we live. So, so there's nothing that can stop that. How about on a global basis? Is this going to happen all over the world? Probably. What's, what's to stop it from happening from all over the world? Because it has a huge political and economic impact to have all these layoffs. Retail has been one of the biggest industries we've had in this country for a long time. And, and a lot of people are not happy losing their jobs and having their malls and their stores closing. I agree. I agree. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not saying it's not uh, a bad thing necessarily for those individuals that are losing their jobs, but I do think it's going to continue. Once upon a time, manufacturing was a very big industry in the United States. Retail the same. It's shifting. It's changing. It, and, and there's no stopping it. Is there also a, a demographic and a kind of a cultural phenomenon that younger people are just more used to and more comfortable buying things online than their, their parents might be? I would say so, but it, you know, my experience is the buyers and sellers I work with are, are, are of all ranges in age and demographics. Yeah. All right. Well, just in summing up, so say you're you're wanting to start a business and you think you want to sell it eventually, what are the right steps you need to do to kind of make it all succeed? And you said you can sell a business within eighteen months to two years of starting it. It's it's a new world from what it used to be. Yeah, I, I think the key thing is is you know that documentation and it's not the fun stuff, it's not the exciting stuff, but it is the stuff that will help uh, make your business more saleable uh, for a higher value at, at the right time. Documenting the details of the business. The, I think the key thing more than anything else is 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 the exit planning. You know, you want to get that documentation, but have conversations. You know, all of my conversations that I have with potential clients, uh, they're really planning calls. It's, it's what is the value today and what's it going to be worth in six or 12 months if you do certain things based upon the trends of the business in order to get the maximum value for the business. And ultimately, Jordan, if, if someone's running a business and doing very well with it and they love it, what, they shouldn't sell it. They're not going to get the same value by, by, by selling it that they would from holding it the long term. It's going to certainly generate more money. But as entrepreneurs, we all get tired. We all want to move on to new projects. Uh, events happen in our lives that make us pivot and change. And preparing for those eventual possible events is what exit planning is all about and doing valuations is all about. So I, I think doing that is very, very important. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Joe Valley. He's Director of Brokerage Services at Quiet Light Brokerage. They help buy and sell online businesses, particularly working over Amazon. Uh, You can find out more about what Joe offers at quietlightbrokerage.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Joe. My pleasure. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.